We uh, bravely, the last week, have jumped into Romans, the book of Romans. And uh, I cannot promise when this will end. (laughs) If you want to leave the church now, it would be the time to leave. Because uh, we won't finish this for at least probably until the end of summer. Or later. But I decided, you know, last week I had talked about jumping into the latter part of chapter 1. And maybe some of you have read that section or maybe reread chapter 1. I could not bypass the section verses 8 to 17. It's kind of still part of the introduction. Okay? So if you're just starting, you haven't really missed much other than last week's message was a good one. And I think today we can continue in that frame of mind that God can speak to us even through Paul's humble introduction. The, uh, the book of Romans is, as you know, <coughs> most of you, comes right after the book of Acts. It is not written right after the book of Acts. In fact, it's quite a bit of time later as the church is maturing. In fact, spreading throughout the Roman Empire. And so it's a letter that is well formulated in the early church so that it's not just primitive ideas concerning what the church is but it's well thought through, spirit-filled teaching that Paul gives us throughout the book of Romans. Solid stuff. In fact, many Christians, sad to say, really don't understand Romans. They think it's far too deep for us to understand. But I'm, because I'm your humble servant we'll try to make it as easy as possible to understand the concepts of Romans, that it will become to you like the gospel. In fact, it is the gospel, like we talked about last week. And Paul continues in his introduction that this is the gospel. And as we've got on our screen, it's the gospel of God. Very unusual phrase used in the Bible. Usually it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this says the gospel of God. It's how Paul introduces it. Why? Because Romans is not about the Romans, necessarily. Romans is to the Romans who were mostly like ourselves, an international church meeting in the basement. Well, I'm not quite sure about that last statement. But they were from many, many different nations and tribes and tongues, and they were meeting together in Rome because they were brought together. In fact, some of them had been There, when the Holy Spirit came down in Jerusalem and the church began. 
And they went back to Rome. And they started a church. And that church grew. And that, that church was not started by Paul. Now, there were several churches that were started by him, but not the Roman church. The church in Rome was at the center of civilization. And it was a church that could be very influential throughout the empire. And in fact, became very influential to the point that it reached worldwide. This letter was written in the year, well, Anno Domini. We say this is uh, now 2016 A.D. What do we mean by A.D.? Many of us in English language have stated it as after death. No, really. That's what it, it, the A.D., they think that's what it means. But no, it means Anno Domini. That's Latin for Anno is year, Domini is the Lord. The year of the Lord. 56 to 57 about is when this letter was written. Long after the church had begun spreading in other places, such as in Corinth and I think uh, in, in the uh, area of Turkey, the, the church is there in what we call now Turkey, which was Asia Minor. So the church was well-established, but had really no history. Paul's objective in this we're going to talk about. Actually, we're going to look in this kind of an outline. Okay, let's read these uh, verses. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. That without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, 
the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As this, it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I've tried to simplify this portion and bring it together in an understanding of what Paul was trying to say to these believers in Rome. So first of all, we have Paul's motivation in verses 8 to 11. Then Paul's MO, mode of operation, or his methodology, his philosophy of ministry, if you will, in verses 12 to 14. And then Paul's message in 15 to 17. Simple enough message, so let's dive in. Paul's motivation, I'm basically going to be walking through these verses that we just read, verse by verse, and I've actually, uh, you'll see on the screen, uh, used some coding so that you can understand what we're talking about in terms of whether it's his motivation or his MO or his message. So anything in red in these verses, I think pertain to or come out of Paul's motivation. Actually, Paul's motivation comes out of his relationship with Jesus Christ as a willing slave of Jesus Christ. As we saw last week, he says he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Actually, Paul, as you remember, was a freeman. He was not a slave. There were many slaves in the Roman Empire, but Paul wasn't one of them. He was born as a freeman, and so was his family. And yet, Paul says, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. That meant something to the Roman believers because many of them were slaves. Paul says, I thank my God. That comes out of his gratitude for having encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ in his life. As we learned last week, he was a persecutor of the church. He was a murderer. He was present and, it seems, was supervising the murder, the stoning of the first martyr of the Christian church, Stephen. Giving consent to it. And then he turned around and he went from house to house seeking out these house churches, these Christians that were meeting in houses and dragging them off to jail. And many of them were killed. But, as we learned last week, Jesus Christ showed himself to Paul on the way to Damascus. He had in his hand the authority to squash, to crush, to destroy this new religion called the way. And he was set on doing this. But Jesus Christ appeared to him in a bright light 
and a voice saying, Why, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul fell down, blinded by the light. Who are you, Lord? And Jesus answers him. And Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And so therefore counted himself as one of those like the disciples of Jesus who had been with Jesus for those three years, that he also considered himself close to being a disciple. His life was changed. And because of his changed life, Paul did not change in personality or temperament or zeal. In fact, from what we see of Paul's motivation now, as he describes it several years later, he is an ardent, zealous disciple of Jesus Christ. And so he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He was able to express to people who he once hated that he was thankful for them. Turned 180 degrees in the way that he was going. That's what conversion, that's what Christianity, becoming a Christian is, that you're turned 180 degrees from where you're going right now. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, that is what it means when we say we are a Christian. We were going my way. And we turned around and we went his way. That's a simple definition of what a Christian is, a follower of Jesus Christ, who once hated him. Well, you might say, I don't hate Jesus. I just don't know him. Well, this is an opportunity for you to know him in reading and looking through the gospel and through Romans, the book of Romans. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Well, it wasn't the whole world, we've learned, because they didn't know very much about China. They didn't know very much about Taiwan. They didn't know very much about uh, Thailand or even Japan. But the whole world, as far as they were concerned, that was the known world in the Mediterranean area and over into Israel, but not much further, maybe North Africa. They didn't even, I mean, America didn't even come into existence for several hundreds of years anyway. Well, was it 1492 or was the Norwegians, were the Norwegians right when it was 1100? I believe it was Columbus in 1492. But he says in verse 9, For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son. Paul was saying here that I am preaching from my spirit. He's not saying I'm preaching by the Holy Spirit. What he's indicating to us here is he is preaching by his spirit. Wait a minute, what's the difference between my spirit and the Holy Spirit? Paul is saying, I have a heart 
for Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has filled me with a desire to make Jesus Christ known. But there is a join up, there is a becoming one, becoming alive in Jesus Christ that Paul experienced on the Damascus Road. And his spirit became one with the Spirit of God. That's the inside definition of what a Christian is. That when we come to Jesus, we turn our life over to him. He comes in and he joins our spirit with his. Does your personality change? Does your temperament change? I don't think so. Not even your giftedness in terms of natural gifts. But you are made more alive than you have ever been. And it's out of that joining together my spirit, as he says, I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son. So the same spirit that Paul had for persecuting the church, that spirit is changed and he's now zealous for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You get it? Do you understand it? That we, as Christians, aren't just cookie cutter. You know, understand what a cookie cutter is? Uh, I won't describe it. We are not just a mold or a model. Oh, however, there are telltale things about Christians that you can think when you don't even know somebody. I bet you he's a Christian. Have you ever had that experience? There's some telltale things about us that are giveaways. And those things are very hard to hide. But... What this is about is, let's not hide it, let's show it. We'll learn more about that uh, at the end of this message, or toward the end. The gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. What's he saying? He's been praying for the Christians at Rome. We prayed for one another here. And the prayer is a very important thing in the, in the life of a Christian. It's not just going and, and saying your prayers in a certain rote way. It's by the fact that as we walk, as we encounter our friends, we encounter situations in our daily life, Jesus is there with us. He's joined with our spirit so that you can pray and say, Lord, I'm having a tough time with question number 10 on this exam. Clear my mind. Clear my heart. Help me to think straight. I studied for 10 hours last night and I need the answer to question number 10. No uh, coincidence there with the 10 number. Uh, But the fact that the Lord is with us in all of our life experiences. That is being a Christian. Always in my prayers, making requests, 
if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed. Paul was a successful persecutor of the church, and now he becomes a successful promoter of the church. I'm coming to you, he says, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. Impart has that sense of from inside me, my heart, to you is an imparting, a giftedness, a allowing you to see my heart and then you be able to walk as I walk, that you may be established. And that's our heart's desire. And I'm sure many of you, that's your heart's desire. As you bring your friends to a place where they can hear the gospel, that they would be established in their lives. They need Jesus. In verse 9 and also 11, you'll see that the uh, two fours for God and four, I long to see you, are conjunctions, little uh, connecting links to uh, the uh, sentence structure here, the ideas of thanking God and then saying for God. These are expletives that Paul uses in saying, it would, it would read like this, For I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at the last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. So Paul is, was trained as in, in the Greek language. He knew how to use it. And that's what he uses here, is a Greek conjunctive or conjunction in order to build one thought upon another. And so he's building an argument. And if we were to skip on to the third slide there, you see there's three fours there, all the same word. Now, there are some other fours in this portion, but these five are very distinct because they're building an argument and it's getting more powerful and more powerful as he gives it to the Romans. Paul's M.O., that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you. There comes his motivation again. But I'm calling this his mode of operation. Because our motivation carries through our mode of operation or the methodology that we have. It, it permeates who we are, what we do. Being a Christian isn't just doing it is living out the life of Jesus Christ on a daily basis and his spirit in us is what empowers us to do what Christians do. Does that make sense? It's not just going through a ritual. Well, 
my pastor says I need to read the Bible five minutes a day at 8 a.m. <laughs> oh, I missed it. I had to change the baby's diapers. Uh, there just isn't enough time today. Does that really, is that really the way we're living our Christian life? I hope not. That you can be flowing through life knowing that you are motivated not by the clock, not by a schedule, not by a duty, but because you love the Word of God because it tells you about Jesus Christ. And that motivation motivates us. And that's what the Christian life is about. Each of us, he says, I was encouraged to be together with you, well among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul's methodology was the church. Once he was against these people of the way, and now he's really got their heart in his heart. And that is his MO. That is his method of operation. To see the church strengthened and that believers are strengthened one with another. Ephesians 4, 6 says, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We've talked about this verse before. And that's what the church is about. That's why we're coming together. That's why we spend a couple of hours together at least once a week. Other times we meet together on Wednesday evening to pray for one another and pray for the church and to pray for our community and pray for those situations that and issues that are in our nation, in our cultures, in our countries. That's what Paul was talking about here. That we are those that are joined to one another. And when we talk about being jointed together, we're talking about when I wave my finger like this, I could not do this without this other part of my hand or my arm. We're joined together. We're jointed together. Every one of us here, as Christians, we are joined with one another. And that is what is the most important thing for us to know about the church. And even if we're from another country and we're sitting here because a plane brought us here and our son and his daughter-in-law brought us here. It's to be together with the body of Christ, to encourage one another, so that when you leave us to go back to Pennsylvania, okay, when you go back there, take our greetings back to the believers in Pennsylvania. That's what the body of Christ is about, because we're jointed together building one another up in our faith. 
each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. My faith means something to you. Your faith means a great deal to me. And that's the way we function. Yes, we are friends. Yes, we love drinking coffee at Starbucks. We enjoy spending time together, being jointed together, fellowshipping, not just because we're members of the same church, but because we're members of the body of Jesus Christ. We're jointed together. And Paul says in verse 13, I do not want you to be aware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul realizes that when we are in a position of responsibility for one another, that we take that seriously. When we say to one another, I'll pray for you. Listen carefully when you say that to one another, that you really carry through with it. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Don't just say that as a flippant promise or a hollow promise. The Holy Spirit would be faithful to you to listen. When you say, I'll pray for you. A little method that I use in my daily life is I listen to the Holy Spirit. But if I say I'm going to pray for you and I know that I've got somebody else to see or a busy schedule to go on, don't let it disturb you that I say, well, can I pray for you right now? The reason why I do that is because I'm human and so are you. And we often forget then, we say, I'll pray for you. And then you meet your friend a couple of days later. Thank you for your prayers. Well, wait a minute, I forgot to pray for you. (laughs) So when we say, I, I, I think this is a good thing, and it's a bonding thing, is for you to, when somebody says, would you pray for me? Yes, I'll do that right now. And just... It doesn't have to be, you know, any fancy special occasion type thing. Just maybe hold hands or don't even touch each other, particularly if it's a man or a woman. But anyway, to just pray for them right there and ask Jesus to meet your friend and to bless them in what, what they're asking for you to pray about. And we can go on then to understand how we function together. Paul is really talking here about, in verse 13, as he mentions in Ephesians 3, 5, and 6, in earlier generations, they didn't know this hidden plan that God has now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets through the Spirit. This plan is that the Gentiles would be co-heirs and parts of the same body that they would share with the Jews in the promises of God in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Basically what Paul is saying is, I am a Jew, 
I come from a very strong Jewish background. I also do have Greek education. And Paul was a Pharisee, as we learned uh, last week. He was so much into Judaism that he missed the truth about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And in this, he was thinking, oh, the Gentiles, they're outside the grace of God. We as the Jews, the chosen people, we're the ones. No, Paul sees that, in fact, God is calling him to the Gentiles. Unthinkable to Paul that he would look at that time when he was encountered by Jesus Christ and now he sees the church as being opened up to not just Jews but to Gentiles also. And so that he has a much broader understanding of what God intended in the very first place in Genesis. That the whole world would be filled with people that would give praise and glory to creator God, to the, to the one who had made us, the one to whom we owe our breath. That was a new revelation to Paul. He didn't understand it. He was blocked from seeing that. In fact, in some places he calls it a secret, that the church is a secret that God hid from former generations. It's only been 2,000 years that people like us have gathered together and worship Jesus like this among many nations. Are there any Jews with us here? That's unfortunate. But in another way, glory to God that the gospel was shared with us. We're Gaijin. According to a lot of Jews, we are Gaijin. Oh, I'm sorry, some of you don't know what Gaijin means. It means foreigner. Paul later describes, well, in verse 14, that's where I'm headed. He says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Who are the barbarians? Who's a barbarian? Oh, come on. I asked for Jewish hands. Now, who is a barbarian? Be honest. Okay, I'm getting more hands. It's coming through. I am a barbarian. You're a barbarian. Anybody that is outside, a gaijin of the grace of God, is a barbarian. They say that they, the barbarian word actually comes from ba 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 ba. What language was I just speaking? We are foreigners. And Paul says, I am under obligation. I have a debt to pay to the Greeks as well as the barbarians. Why? Why does he have a debt to pay? to the Greeks and the barbarians. Because it was those, that church 
that was made up of internationals. MCC, or in this case, RCC. <laughs> An international community. And Paul saw them as the true Jews. And we'll learn more about that as we get into Romans. He's under obligation to them. To those that were on the outside, we don't want to have anything to do with barbarians. Everybody was included. The gospel is not exclusive. It is inclusive to every person. That's what the gospel means. Spreading the good news. Getting the news out to those who do not know our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so that it is with Christ. Paul's message. So far from my point, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also. What was his message? The gospel. What was the gospel? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also for the Greek. For within it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That was his message. It was clear, it was strong, it was untainted. Paul knew what the gospel was. And he said, I am not ashamed of it. But Paul, your master, hung on a cross. And the Bible even says, the Jewish script even says, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. Paul, is that your master? Is that your savior? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first. Why? The message came to the Jew and they blew it. They really did. But God had another plan. And God always has another plan, I believe. And that was the church. That's where he was headed. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 1 Corinthians 9.16 For I preach the gospel that it gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I want you to check out very carefully, and we've mentioned this before, be very, very discerning of the messages that you hear on the Internet, particularly if, if they come from the United States. I'm not dissing my own country, but I am ashamed for the messages that are coming from the Church of the United States. Liberal thinking seems very close to Christianity, but checking it out, it is not. Be very, very careful to what you listen to. Make sure that it 
is the gospel. Ask yourself, is it the gospel? Does it meet this standard? Books also. There's books, 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 books everywhere. And we're passing it on. Be careful of those writers because there is so much of error. It is not the gospel. This is what the gospel is. Pay close attention to what Paul says when he talks about the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. There are many preachers, evangelists, teachers who are ashamed of the gospel. They want to make it seeker-friendly, easy to go down, sugar-coating it so that it, it, the power of it is gone. Be careful in what you listen to. Be careful of my messages, in fact. Check on me and make sure that I'm not preaching something that is not biblical. Please do that. There's only one person in this congregation that really holds my feet to the fire. (laughs) And you know who she is. (laughs) I need her. We need you. And if you have a question, don't hesitate to come to me. You know, Ted Namiki is a wonderful friend to me. Quite often you'll see him make a beeline to me right away at the end of my message. He said, you said this in your message. I did? Oh yes, I did use that word. (laughs) Thank you, Ted, for your uh, listening carefully. All of you listen carefully to what I have to say because I don't want to teach error. For it is the righteousness of God For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What does this term, faith to faith, mean? It means that what God had in the Old Testament as teaching is faith. What Abraham experienced and lived out in his life is faith. To faith. What the disciples knew in their beholding and and touching and seeing the resurrected Jesus Christ, and even those that didn't see, had faith to believe that he was raised from the dead, never to die again. Faith to faith. So that Abraham's faith is absolutely no different from our faith in looking back at the cross. It's checking the record, having the Holy Spirit confirm it in your life and saying, Jesus Christ, you are my Savior. You are my rock. You are my shield. You're the one who has chosen me. And I follow in your way. That's what it means. Faith to faith. The Old Testament faith and the New Testament faith, really only the only difference is time and the event that was the final thing that Jesus says, it is finished. 
the finished work of Jesus Christ is what Abraham was believing in and we are believing in. And that work that Jesus Christ did for our sins in paying for our sins, in taking upon himself the punishment, the wrath of God upon himself instead of me, that's faith. And so, the righteousness of God. What is righteousness? How many times have I said that in this very spot here? A dozen times, 20 times? With the kanji, I just love this. And it's probably going to be stamped indelibly on your brain. When the Lamb covers me, the Lamb of God covers what? Me. I am counted as righteous. And we as Japanese, or, no, I'm not Japanese. <laughs> Japanese and Chinese know that kanji for ni. It stands for righteousness. Every time you see it, that is our position. But the righteous shall live by faith. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is pure, clean, a light, a way for us to walk. Lord, we pray that you would take these words and the word that we have been considering here and allow that the Holy Spirit would place them in our hearts so that we would know what you have done for us of your grace and your mercy upon us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for breaking bread for us this morning. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.